Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. And looking at sin through a lens of generosity isn't so much scarcity as it is, I think, the lie of scarcity. And again, throughout human history, I think this lie of scarcity has come to us again and again and again. And it's telling us that there's not enough to go around. It's telling us that if someone is taking a larger portion of that pie, that means we must be getting less. It means that we are not whole unless we are continually gathering more and more, building our empires, stockpiling, saving more for later. And if we don't do this, if we don't take more than our equal share, then we will starve. We will die. Our children will starve and die. And this lie, this fear that keeps coming across us again and again and again, telling us not to trust in God's abundance and provision and plentifulness, but to take it in our own control and try to do it ourselves. And so we're going to be looking at this throughout Scripture uh, tonight. And to do so, I've actually got here a bit of a visual example that I'm going to be using. And this is going to be great for anyone listening to this on the podcast. (laughs) But just, just to give you an idea, this larger candle here, this represents... This is a bit higher than I was expecting it to be. (laughs) This represents God and his eternal loving provision for us. This eternal flame of generosity that is aimed towards us and, and never is extinguished. And then this smaller candle here, this represents us and our interaction with God and his generosity uh, over the course of history. And so to start in the beginning, that's where the Bible starts, in the beginning, there was God and even the creation story is one of generosity because in the beginning it wasn't just God out there floating around this space there was no space and so the ultimate reality the ultimate consciousness is God there was just God and so within himself he gave the universe within himself he gave creation and created the world and within himself he made life and so creation is already this this generosity story. And we get this picture in Genesis of the Garden of Eden and it's this lush place. It's abundance, overflowing with with life. And everything is healthy and it's good. It is very good. And in the midst of this garden, in the very lap of God's generosity, he places us. And for a time, man walks with God, shoulder to shoulder and Man wants for nothing. And there's a satisfaction there. And there is a union there. And it is beautiful. And it is good. But then that lie of scarcity creeps in. And in the Genesis story, it comes in the way of Satan through the serpent. And the lie is that Adam and Eve, they are not whole. In fact, they are still broken. God is holding out on them. And to be whole, all you need to do is reach out and take what is not yours and then you'll be like God, and then you will be whole. And so what do Adam and Eve do? They take the fruit, and then their eyes are opened, and they choose scarcity over abundance, and they choose, they choose their own, they trust their own provision rather than God's. And as you can see, we cover the, cover the candle, and it's extinguished because we hoard what is not ours. And I think it's interesting when we look at the fall story through this lens of generosity, The separation from God, it's not about punishment through this lens. It's not even about exile. It's about the simple fact 
that you cannot have both abundance and scarcity together at the same time. You cannot be both full and empty at the same time. And so man chooses scarcity over God's abundancy. And the world turns into a wilderness, a place where man has to work to make ends meet, to provide for themselves. We then move on to the next generation. We have Cain and Abel. And both of them know God, and both of them are making sacrifices to God. And Cain looks at Abel's sacrifice and sees the blessings and the goodness flowing from God towards Abel, his brother, and he becomes jealous. And I think that is a great gauge for us to to help us work out, are we living under God's abundancy, the knowledge of God's abundancy, or are we giving into this lie of scarcity? When you see someone else succeed, when you see somebody else prosper, are you happy for them? Are you joyous? Or are you kind of secretly hoping that they kind of fall on their face a bit because they'll make you feel a bit better because it feels like you're being left behind because maybe they're taking more, which means you will get less. And so what Cain does is he kills his brother in the first murder we have in Scripture. And so again, there's that choice from going from abundancy to scarcity. But even though Adam and Eve... Uh, uh, leave the garden and Cain has to leave as well in all those stories we still see that God is pursuing them God is coming with them in Genesis 3 uh, scripture says that even though Adam and Eve had left the garden God is still clothing them God is still protecting them and the same with Cain as well putting the mark on Cain to protect him there too go some generations down the track even further we now come to the time of Noah and through this lens of generosity We can see that the flood is coming. And this flood, I think, is a great metaphor for this scarcity that is covering the world. Because within the flood, when the flood covers the world, not only does land become scarce and does food become scarce, but also life becomes scarce as well. And it's like this lie of scarcity has covered the world. But in that scarcity, there's this little pocket of generosity that God protects Noah and his family and the animals in the ark. And it is in that place that they find protection, even though the world around them is giving in to this lie. The waters recede and men spread out again. And then we come to the story of the Tower of Babel. And again, this lie of scarcity is coming out and the people building this tower are falling to the same lie that Adam and Eve fell to, that they are not whole, that they want to be like God. So again, they need to reach out and take what is not theirs. They build this tower so they can be like God. And ironically, they actually say in Scripture that let's, let us build this tower so we are not scattered. But simply by building the tower, they actually find themselves scattered, change language, and they move out across the world as a scattered people. Some generations later, God then comes to one of these scattered people, a man named Abram, and he's a good man. And he follows God's heart, and he lives in that place of generosity. And you can actually see that when Abraham and his younger brother Lot pick up their belongings and their families and move to another land. And Abraham, being the older brother, he has first rights to the land. And he says to Lot, even though I'm the, uh, I'm the uh, older brother, I have first rights to the land, you shall choose first and you can take the better land. And he trusts that even though Abraham will then take the lesser of the land, the less fertile land, he will still be in God's abundance. He will still be provided for. And God blesses him. He blesses him in the wilderness of his old age, in blessing him with a child, Isaac, a son. And he 
he uh, makes a covenant with Abraham as well. And through Abraham and his children, all nations will be blessed. Again, it's this outpouring of God's love, an outpouring of generosity that's going to cover the world. And when you see them make the covenant, God does all the work. So God provides the goat. And in Hebrew tradition, you cut the goat carcass in half and you lay one part of the carcass on one side, another on the other side. And each person bound by the covenant walks through the middle of the carcass to say that they are bound. But if you see, if you read the scripture, Abraham doesn't walk through the carcass. It's only God passing through the carcass. And so only God is bound by this covenant. Only God uh, has to come through for Only God has to come through on his promise. And so, again, it's God's love, it's God's generosity, God's provision that he's using this to reach all the people around the world. But then it's only a couple of generations later that we have Esau and Jacob. And Esau is the older brother, he has the birthright, but Jacob steals the birthright from his older brother. Again, this is the lie of scarcity. It's greedy, taking what is not yours, hoarding that away. And you can see how Isaac, uh, sorry, how Jacob changes after he takes this birthright, he is then fleeing. He is in fear. He is running. He is lying. He's manipulating. He's trying to do whatever he can to protect himself, to get out of these bad situations, this lie that is hunting him down. And this is not a picture of a man who is living in God's abundance, but a man who's living under that lie of scarcity. Go forward a little bit further. And then we have Joseph. And Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers who feel there is not enough love from their father to go around. Joseph is getting that larger share. And so they sell him off into slavery and he's picked up by some Egyptians. And as we know, Joseph rises up the ranks through the Egyptian political lines and he becomes second in charge of all of Egypt. And when famine actually hits the land, God uses Joseph's position to then provide for Israel, to provide for his brothers. And even though they're in a foreign land, they sit there and flourish in abundance, provided by God in another land. Come some 300 years later, the Israelites have now prospered. They have flourished. They've multiplied in Egypt to the point where the Egyptians are now fearful that they are not going to survive, that the Hebrews are going to take over, that there's not going to be enough food to go around, there's not going to be enough land to go around, there's not going to be enough power to go around. And so this is almost like the Egyptians, well, it is like the Egyptians falling to that lie of scarcity, that if we don't do something, that we will not survive. And so they force the Israelites into slavery. And it's in that slavery that the Israelites are crying out to God. And then Moses comes along and he takes the Israelites out of Egypt and leads them into the wilderness, a literal wilderness. And it's in this wilderness that it's like God is teaching them how to trust in his abundance again. And so even though they're in the desert and there is nothing around, they cry out that they are hungry and God sends them manna from heaven. They get sick of the manna. They say, we're sick of eating this magical bread. We want meat. And so God sends flocks of quails to them. They complain that they are thirsty. And Moses strikes his staff on a rock and outpours a spring of water. And so whatever they need, God is providing for them in this wilderness. And if you notice, God is saying, don't stockpile. 
don't save for later. Don't hoard any of this food away and save it for the next day. Trust in me for your daily bread. And anything that the Israelites would, would roll over to the next day, anything they'll put away to eat tomorrow would just turn to dust and ash. And so God is teaching them in the wilderness, trust in me, I will provide for you day after day after day. And eventually the Israelites make it to the promised land. And this promised land is like another Garden of Eden. It's lush, it's green, it's plentiful. The crops are huge, the animals are fat, it's the land flowing with milk and honey. And it's a beautiful place. And again, the Israelites find themselves in the lap of God's generosity. And it is good, it is very good. But then guess what happens? That lie of scarcity creeps in again. And the Israelites look around at all the other nations and they see that every other nation has a human king. And they go to Samuel the prophet and say, we too want a human king. And Samuel says, no, if you take a human king, you will not be living in God's abundance. He will put you to work. Life will not be as good as it is now. But they say, we don't care. We want a human king. And so again, the Israelites choose scarcity over abundance. They trust in man's provision, not in God's. And so we have the rise and the fall of King Saul, and then we have King David, a man after God's own heart, as it tells us in Scripture. And David starts off so good. He's Even as a young boy, he's trusting in God to provide whatever he needs. He's a shepherd. He's out in the field, and a lion comes along. He trusts God will give him the strength and the ability and the resources to defeat this lion. Same with Goliath. He comes up to Goliath and trusts that God will enable him to defeat Goliath. And he unites a broken Israel. He brings the people together. And even though David was as good as he was, and everything he did was so good in the twilight years, in his old age, he's sitting in his palace and in creeps that lie of scarcity. And he looks out of his palace window and he sees Bathsheba, the beautiful woman next door. And he takes her as his wife. He takes what is not his. And her husband Uriah, he has killed in battle. And so that lie of scarcity creeps into David once more. Then the next king we have is Solomon. And Solomon, again, starts off so good. God says you can have your choice of power, money, or wisdom. Solomon chooses wisdom, and God blesses him with all three. And if ever there was a time that Israel prospered, it was under King Solomon. The temple has been built. It's golden clad, adorned with jewels. Israel is prospering. There are kings and queens and noble people coming from distant lands to seek out Solomon's wisdom. And it starts off so well, but even King Solomon is led astray, as it says in Scripture. And after that, Israel is plunged into a dark time. And there, were, there was the occasional good king, but a lot of them were pretty bad. And they were getting further and further away from God's abundance. They were looking for it in themselves. They were looking for provision from other gods. And they were going every other which way except for looking to God for their provision. And eventually they are carted off into slavery. And on the rivers of Babylon, they cry out because they have lost God. They feel like they've been locked out of God's generosity, outside of God's abundance forever. The temple has been destroyed. God is dead. And they weep and they mourn because they realise they are in this place of nothingness, this place of scarcity now forever because their God 
is dead. But then in Isaiah, we get some little murmurings, some, just some little murmurings that God's not dead. Maybe God lives. And those murmurings turn into rumors. And those rumors turn into proclamations. And in Isaiah, we get this picture of God who's not dead, but he's alive and bigger and stronger and more loving and more generous than ever before. And he's riding in this chariot on the clouds, coming to rescue his people, whisk them away like a groom is there to whisk away his, uh, his bride on his wedding night. And it's this beautiful picture that God is there, more loving, more abundant, bigger, better, more powerful, more loving than ever before. And it's this beautiful picture of God, even when the Israelites are feeling they're at the very lowest, the very depths of the wilderness, God is still there coming through for them. And then God gives the greatest gift that he can. He gives of himself, literally of himself. And Jesus comes into the world. And Jesus mirrors everything about God, about this moreness, more, 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 abundance, generosity, plentifulness. And so you see Jesus turning water into wine. You see him taking a few loaves of bread and a few fish and multiplying them to feed the thousands and the tens of thousands. And he's healing the sick and he's giving sight to the blind. He's helping the lame to walk. And everything Jesus is teaching is, is that the kingdom of God is bigger than we ever thought before. It's not open just to the Jews, but it's open to the Romans and the Greeks and the Gentiles alike. And the doors open wider than we could have thought. God's love is more generous than we ever had imagined before. The vastness of the kingdom constantly exceeds the expectations. To go off on a little tangent, I remember when I was a kid um, hearing about heaven and being taught about heaven. I was told that heaven just goes on forever and ever and ever. And I remember thinking that that's just that sounds really boring because to me heaven was like a theme park. And after I've been on every single ride and played every single game at this theme park, I still have the rest of eternity to wait it out. And that sounded horrible. But then someone explained to me maybe a better way to explain heaven is not that it just goes on forever and ever and ever. It's that heaven is limitless. In heaven we are limitless. And so we can learn without limit. We can grow and experience God without limit. And as vast as God is, eternally vast, as far as the east is from the west, we can continually learn and grow and experience in God without the limits that we experience now, without fatigue, without confusion, without that brain fog that we get when we try and do the all-night studies. And so heaven is this place where God is limitless, where we are limitless, where our experience is limitless and our connection is limitless with God as well. And so Jesus, this is the message I think he came to tell us. And the only people you'll see Jesus push back against are the people that said God was anything but limitless, that God's kingdom will only go this far and no further, that God's kingdom is only open to this lot of people, but not those people over there. And so he challenged that lie of scarcity and that lie that death is the end. As deep as gaping and as large as that hole of that death is, as deep as that hole that death is, Jesus and God are bigger than it. And they, over, they fill that void of death and they overflow in God's loving abundance. Even the grave could not contain how vast, how generous, how abundant God is. And that's amazing. And then just lastly, we have then Pentecost. <laughs> 
And again, generosity, God giving his spirit to us in flames like this above, above the heads of the disciples. And his spirit will generously live inside of us forevermore. And so th- this, this is our lineage. This is our story. God continues to give and give and give, yet we keep falling to that lie of scarcity where we think we have to do it ourselves, where we can only rely upon ourselves and we have to take more than, than, what, we, than what we are rightfully allowed to have because otherwise we're not going to survive. But I think Paul sums it up well in, Corinthian, in 2 Corinthians when he says this about Jesus. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I think that just fits really well into this whole idea, this whole lens of generosity. God continues to give of himself again and again and again to us throughout history and throughout our lives as well today. If you look at the story of the prodigal son through the lens of generosity, you can see the youngest son. He is there in his father's house and he wants for nothing. Everything he has is right there at his fingertips. But he feels he is not whole, that there is not enough. And so he takes what is not yet his, his father's inheritance, and he takes it out and has, goes and parties with his friends and things like that. And, and for a while, it is good. He enjoys himself. But he chooses what is limited over what is limitless. And eventually that money runs out and he finds himself eating with the pigs. And so what does he do? He returns home. And does he find his father now um, you know, destitute because he's lost a large portion of his finances? No, his dad's just as rich as ever. And his heart is just as loving as ever. He kisses his son on the cheeks. He puts a ring on his finger. He welcomes him home. His abundance is limitless. To take this analogy of the candles further, I, I lit this smaller candle off the large one, I don't know, half a dozen or so times during this little talk. And no matter how many times I lit that candle from the other one, that large candle did not lose a single ounce of light or a single bit of heat. And I could light that smaller candle a thousand times. I could light that a thousand candles a thousand times. And that large candle would not lose any of its heat or light. Just like God's abundance, he can give and give and give. And there is still more to give. It's not going to run dry. And so... This is a time where we look at ourselves. Where are we in this picture? Are we living in God's, with the knowledge of God's abundance or are we living under that lie of scarcity? And again, this is not a guilty message. This is not saying you must now all give twice as much as you're already giving to the church or in anything like that. How you give, how you display that you are living in this place of generosity is up to you, but it always revolves around giving something, letting go of something. And that is where we find wholeness. That is where we find life, by giving, not by hoarding. Now, this doesn't mean that you'll never experience hard times. I still experience hard times uh, as well. But it's about this. It's about aligning ourselves with the heart of God. We were begotten out of generosity. And so generosity is our natural state. It's our natural place of being. And so if you think about it, what's the most generous thing you've done? What's the most you've ever given someone? And how did that feel? Did, I bet it felt joyful. I bet it felt good. I bet it felt like life. And I think, I bet if you think about it, you could see God in that as well. We are made to be a generous people because we are created from a generous God. 
And so do you allow this flame of generosity to burn bright or, or do you smother it? Wholeness is not found in the giving. Sorry, not in the taking, but the giving. And so just to finish, I just want to go back to the last time I was up here talking, I was talking about the anointing of Bethany. And I think this is just a really good analogy as well. And we were talking about that vial of perfume, the alabaster jar that this woman had, that she broke over Jesus to anoint his, his hands and he, uh, his head and his, his feet. And this alabaster jar of perfume, it was a hope, but it really represented a false hope. It was about 300 denarii, about a year's wages. And so if this woman rationed it out, maybe it would last for her a few years. But again, it's limited. It would run, after it runs out, where would she be? She recognised that that was a limited hope. But Jesus, who was standing before her, represented a limitless hope. And so what did she do? She didn't just pour some of the perfume on him and then save the rest for later. She broke the alabaster jar over Jesus, putting it all on him, all her trust, all her faith. She aligned herself with the generous giving heart of God. And that is where she met Christ. That is where Jesus met her and she has been immortalised in scripture ever since. And so we're going to finish just by doing a very central thing. And I'm just going to ask you just to turn to the person next to you or the people next to you and just have a bit of a chat. I've just got a couple of questions. One's probably a bit easier. One's a little bit more challenging. So it's completely up to you which one you want to answer. But just, just have a chat. So the two questions are, how can you see the gift, sorry, how can you see God in the gifts you have given or received? And how do you understand his abundance? Or the other question you could choose to answer is, do you have an alabaster jar? Hope in the limited instead of the limitless. Does it pull your focus from God's faithfulness or provision? And so let's just have a bit of a chat. Just choose one of these questions. Talk amongst yourself just for a few minutes. I might just get a few people to share afterwards. And then we'll move on and finish up the night. Okay. Um, anyone want to share one or two thoughts about what we've just been talking about. Generosity. And want to be generous with their bravery. Share with the rest of the congregation. Yep, Maddie. Um, well, Jackie was... No, I'm just kidding. I'll do me. Um, I, I was just talking about my own faith journey growing up. Um, and how I'd had really good people around me who really invested time um, and energy into helping me grow up, um, whether that was like praying over me or um, just being in groups of people where they really expressed their love to, to God and that helped me. And so I received a lot, um, I received a lot growing up um, from people who helped lead the way for me to then follow in their footsteps and in that way, I received um, from God and, and his abundance um, in massive ways. Like I don't, it, it helped me to be like, yes, Jesus is real. And yes, I want to follow him because these people are modeling that really well. Um, so that's how I see his abundance in my life, um, specifically in my faith journey growing up, is that um, there were people who, who really helped along um, that journey and just different spaces that I was a part of that um, – yeah, were really, really important in growing me and helping me to see who Jesus is and being like, yes, I want him. That's me. Thanks, Matt. Anyone else?
Um, so I was just sharing that today. So I work at an aged care facility and the past couple of weekends I haven't been able to attend church or house church or any form of community around church because I've been working. And I shared this with one of my residents who they have church at two o'clock on a Sunday and she expressed that it was unfortunate that I wasn't able to attend church. And so this morning or before she went into church, she um, brought me a book about the women in church and the strength that they have. Um, and like having the ability to invest into a relationship with her and her see that um, this is sort of like a book that would bring life and generosity through to me and me being able to then read that and then express that back to her. It's kind of like a circular um, showing of God's love and abundance and I love that. Yeah, if, if everyone's living out generosity, then no one should be in need. Okay, well, I'll hand over to Caro to wrap us up. I just um, thought as we finish our time tonight, it might it would be really great for us to maybe just pray for one another in the same groups that we were sitting and chatting in just now. Um, maybe there's something that's come up for you. Maybe you have a need. Um, maybe when, as you're talking about generosity and abundance and scarcity, perhaps something's come to mind that you think, oh, this is going on in my life. And it might not be financial. It might be a need for, you know, compassion. It might be a need for friendship. It might be, you know, like just that sense. And so I thought just as a, an act of us being truthful and vulnerable with one another that we might bring our, our needs to one another and then pray for one another and trust in this abundant God that we have, that he would continue to pour himself out um, into our lives. And so how about we just take a few minutes before we end just to, to pray for one another, express our needs, bless one another in prayer and just trust that abundance will be flowing among us. Sound okay? Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. <laughs>